Good morning. And y'all put your hands together for our trio. And realize that as you're, you're clapping for them, you're also clapping for God because they're doing it for His glory. I love that song, and I am very glad to be with you today. It's great to be here in the house of the Lord. And if you think it's great to be in the house of the Lord, can you turn around to one of your neighbors? I don't know. Give them a high five, maybe a fist bump something. Okay, I'm watching. Okay. Some of y'all, okay, I can see where your kids get it from. Uh huh. All right. Well, I am very excited to be here with you, and I hope you're excited. And I really hope that when we're finished, you're still excited that you were here today. Um, and I'm so appreciative that you guys didn't take a, a bolt for the door during the welcome after Josh introduced and said that I was going to be here. I did see somebody over here try. Okay, but we have such a friendly church, and people were like greeting them and being nice to them. Hey, how are you doing? So glad you're there. And then cut them all from the door, and then the music started back, and so they were stuck. So don't want to mention any names, but Mike, it's good to see you. I'm just teasing. It wasn't Mike. It wasn't Mike. It was really Jason Jones. But no, Jason, I'm just teasing. It wasn't him either or Emma. All right, well, as was introduced, my name is Ed Colvin. And I uh, serve as your children's minister here at First Baptist Church. I also do a little bit of coaching on the side at Ruston High School. And very uh, thankful how God orchestrated that and your support of that. And so I appreciate that. My, my wife, Kelly, and I have been members uh, in this church family for 22 years. And our ch- children have grown up in this church. And I'll never be able to adequately express just how much this church means to us and the people and the roles that each of you have played investing in our lives and I'm so thankful for that and it gives me a privilege to get to share God's word with you today. Um, now Chris you know I th- he's genius really you know they say absence makes the heart grow fonder and I was telling Alicia a second ago Chris he knew that you'd miss him if he was gone but then he realized that if he had me talk you would really miss him and so yeah, a little stroke of genius there, but um, today we're going to be talking um, about a story that may be familiar to some of you. It's coming from the Old Testament book of Numbers. Um, some of you, it will be a familiar story. Some it may be like, what? That's in the Bible? I didn't know that. Um, but either way, I know that God is going to use it to to tell us something to be more like him if we will let him. That's going to be the key to it is if we're going to let him. Now, as I told you, I've been children's minister for about two and a half years here. And prior to that, I probably volunteered in the children's ministry for about 12 years. So there is a slew of kids that have come through First Baptist Church that I've gotten to work with. And most of the children here, including yours, know me as Crush. Dude, and y'all didn't do it. See, in children's work, church, when we say crush, everybody says dude. So, okay, we're going to try that again. They know me as crush. That was better. All right. Okay, I can work with that. But also being from the South and proper Southerners, a lot of times we will put a Mr. or a Mrs. in front of a first name. And so a lot of the kids go around and say, Mr. Ed, you know. And and so for a lot of you guys, y'all don't have any kind of reference for Mr. Ed. But if you're a little bit older, my age, maybe a little bit older, then you will remember there was a 1960 sitcom about a talking horse called Mr. Ed. And so some people kind of chuckle. And and that actually kind of God used to redirect what I was going to teach about today. Um, I thought I had a pretty good plan. And then praying through it, and God kind of nudged me a little bit and said, hey, what about this? And I was like, no, I got got this right over here. And God said, "Mm, 
what about this right here? And so I'm really excited to be able to share with you the story of Balaam. But before we do that, if you don't mind, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. So if you will, bow your heads and join me. Father God, we just thank you so much for um, how you speak to us. And I, God, I just pray that during this time, as we've gathered in your name, that you will open our, our eyes, our ears, our hearts to see and hear and feel you moving and know what it is that you want us to do. And God, that we will already have the attitude that whatever it is, we're going to be obedient. God, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so a little bit of backstory, though, because we can't just jump into this because you may not know what's going on. Uh, familiar for most all of you will be the Exodus journey. You know, the Israel, the nation of Israel were slaves in um, Egypt. God sends Moses to free the people. They cross the Red Sea. Instead of taking a direct path to the promised land, God directs them down through the peninsula to Mount Sinai. They get the Ten Commandments. God's working through them and teaching them all kinds of stuff. They take a path that will bring them to the southern part of the promised land. God sends 12 spies, one from each tribe, into the promised land. They spend 40 days in the promised land trying to get a lay of the land, trying to you know, get a report so that they will know how to proceed. Well, they come back, and we all know the story. Ten out of the 12 were like, no, we can't do it. There's, there's no way. But two of the 12, Joshua and Caleb, they were like, yeah, God's for us. We've got to be able to do this. Well, God heard the people speak, and God said, okay, if you don't want to do it, you don't want to believe in my promise, you don't have to, but you're going to spend 40 years, the next 40 years, wandering around the wilderness until everybody that's 20 years old or older passes away, and I will give the promised land to the next generation. And so that is the setting. The 40 years is coming to a conclusion Moses and Aaron are still with them, but we see that Aaron is, is, dies on this last leg of the journey, as will Moses end up staying over before going into the promised land. But Moses is still leading them, and they get to the kingdom of Edom. Okay, So in Edom, the Edomites are descendants of Jacob, no, excuse me, Esau, who was Jacob's brother. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. So you see their distant family relationship. And so they're on the king's road, and, and, and Moses is ready to take the Israelites, all two and a half million of them, along king's road up on their last journey up to the promised land. And, but he sends a delegation, and he says to the king of Edom, he says, can we pass through, and we promise we're going to stay on the main road. We're not going to vary off. We, we've, here's our toll for you letting us do this. Can we pass through? Well, the Edomite king said no. And they said, please, this is going to be the direct path to get where we're supposed to go. And the Edomite king not only said no, but then he gathered up his army, his forces. Now, to be honest with you, I don't think they had a chance because there were 600,000 uh, fighting men in the Israelite army. So more than likely, it, wasn't going to be, it would have been a lopsided victory for the Israelites. But because the land was not technically part of the promised land, and because of the distant family relation, Moses redirected the, the group, and they start going down a less traveled way in, in an alternate path. Well, a king in Canaan, everybody still with me? A lot of backstory in it. Okay, king in Canaan 
hears what's going on, and he says, hey, I'm going to go attack and see what I can get out of this. He attacks the Israelites, takes some captives with them, and here is our first sign that the next generation has learned lessons from the past because they call out to God, and they say, if you'll give us this victory, we will utterly destroy, wipe out this Canaanite king and, and the people that came up against us. And God did give them the victory, and they did completely destroy the, the Canaanites that they attacked, they fought with. And that's going to be critical because as they start getting this reputation of what kind of people they are. And so they travel and they, they kind of go bypass Moab, which is going to be important here in a second as well. And they get along the border and there, it's like they're here and the promised land is over there. Moab is over here and the, the Amorites are over here of Sion. And so they've got to they got to get from here to there, and so they send a delegation to the Amorites of Sion, and again, they say, can we pass by? The Amorites say, what do you think? Everybody thinks they said no, raise your hand. Everybody thinks they said yes, raise your hand. The no's have it, good. That, good, you guys, maybe you all know some of this. So they say no, they can't. And they immediately put together their army, and they attack, but guess what happens? The Israelites win. The Israelites go on and they defeat the Amorites of Sion. And then they go up and they defeat the Amorites of Og. And all of this is happening because God wants it to because this is to be considered part of the promised land. And now they've got a staging ground. Moses moves the people down to right around the Jordan River, right on the border of Moab. And now we finally get to the meat of what I feel like God wants us to talk about today, our story. The king of Moab, Balak. Y'all say Balak. 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 Okay, good. Okay. Balak, the king of Balak, gets nervous. All the Moabites get nervous. They're like, what are we going to do? Because they know the history that the Amorites had taken the land away from them originally. And they used the associative property that, well, if the Israelites beat the Amorites and the Amorites beat us, then what are the Israelites going to do to us? Beat them. And so they were like, uh, what are we going to do? So the, the, the Moabite king, Balak, y'all remember? How many of you really remembered? Balak. Okay, so the Amorite king, Balak, says, okay, I know what I'm going to do. There's no way we can physically beat them, so maybe we can take this to the spiritual grounds. And so he brings in some Midianite advisors, and the Midianite advisor says, yeah, we know this guy up north named Balaam. Let's send a group of of messengers to Balaam, and let's see what Balaam can do. And that's where we're going to jump in. Numbers chapter 22, verse 6. And here's how it reads. Come now, curse this people for me. Since they are too mighty for me, perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. And so he realizes that, you know, Balaam has this this authority, has this reputation of being able to bless people and curse people. And keep on reading in verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with their fees of divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave Balak's message, what we said before. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? 
And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent, me, sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse these for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. So you see that he was trying to get a spiritual advantage. More than likely, what had happened is Balak went to his God first. God little G and his God little G basically spelled it out. You know, he's not going to be any help. And so he brings in these Midianite advisors and they say, well, perhaps we can go to Balak, Balaam, excuse me, and get Balaam's help. And this brings us to our first point. Our first point here is real simple because it sounds like everything could go for Balaam's way, but guys, we can't fool God. We can't fool God. See, if we go back and we look at in verse 18 and 22, um, Balaam answered and said to the servants, to Balak, because Balaam, Balak sends another group and says, though Balak, you were, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please, stay here tonight that I may know that more what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the mans have come to call you, rise and go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princess of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of the adversary. Now he was riding. And we're going to stop there for a second. Guys, we can't fool God. When you first look at this story, and, and I first started diving into it, Balaam looked like he was an uh, uh, okay guy. He knew God. He called, used God's covenant name. He went to God. He said, you know, I'll obey God. He obeyed God. Everything seemed like everything was on the, the up and up. But, again, my, the point that I brought up, we can't fool God. You know we try to fool God, don't we? Whether you're a non-believer or a believer, we try to fool God. And God knows our heart, and he knows the heart of Balaam. That passage can be confusing because, again, Balaam looks like he's doing everything that he's supposed to do, and yet when he got up the next second time to obey God, God opposes him, sends an angel of the Lord to, to stand in the way and block his way. And the reason why is because of Balaam's motivation, what was in Balaam's heart. And that's what just really kind of stuck out to me. Guys, if you go back and you look and you saw some of the, the scriptures there in verse 7, it mentions the fee of divination. The, back in the Middle East during this time, it was believed that some people had the power to look at natural signs and patterns of animal behavior and, and uh, drops of oil and water and how they moved and be able to discern what the God's will, God's little g will is. Other people had the power, they believed, to use words to basically manipulate the gods into blessing or cursing. See, basically what we, what we find out here is Balaam was an agent. Think about sports. Balaam was a sports agent. And his client said, hey, I, need, I want to trade, go to the New Orleans Saints. Okay, And so Balaam was like, okay, yeah, I know somebody that's with the New Orleans Saints. He acted like he knew God. And so he makes contact, and the New Orleans say, say no, that's not going to happen. We don't want that. 
And so immediately Balaam goes back to the, the messengers and he says, you know, cut it off. You might as well go home. It's not going to happen. And so that's kind of the situation here. Balaam knew about God, but Balaam didn't necessarily believe in God. And he sure didn't think of God as being the one and only God. And so as we think about this, guys, in our, in our terms, no, we may not be in the position that Balaam is in, but God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our heart. He knows our motivation. He knows what's going on with us. And so right here with Balaam, he stands to oppose Balaam. Well, Balaam gets saddled up, and if we're going to keep, keep on reading, Balaam saddles up, and we are in... Uh, go ahead and skip those next. Go ahead, verse 22. Balaam saddles up and uh, says, God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So in other words, they're traveling down the road. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword. And what is the what we okay? What do you think the donkey was thinking? What would you be thinking? You're driving home today, and all of a sudden you see an angel appear in the road before you, and he's got a sword. What are you going to do? Turned off, and the, that's exactly what happened with Balaam's donkey. Balaam's donkey goes and he turns off into a field. Well, what does Balaam do? Balaam gets all upset with the donkey and beats the donkey and turns the donkey back onto the path. I also kind of wondered during all of this, what was the angel of the Lord thinking? Next, the angel of the Lord appeared at a, at a place in the path in the road that was between two walls and a vineyard. And it was a little bit more narrow, and, and the donkey wouldn't be able to turn into the vineyard. And so as the donkey sees the angel of the Lord again the second time, the donkey starts to veer over towards the wall, and he gets as close as he can to the wall, and he ends up crushing Balaam's foot. And what does Balaam do? He beats the donkey again. He turns the donkey back into the path. But the angel of the Lord didn't do anything at that point in time. He repositioned himself again a little bit further down the road. And he put, puts himself in a spot where there's no way that the donkey can go one way or the other. The donkey has got to come straight at him. And now the donkey just goes boneless. Lays down underneath Balaam, and Balaam again gets off, and he's beating the donkey, and he is having a fit. Guys, what happens next is the incredible thing. And it reminds me that God will go to some incredible measures to get our attention. As we keep on reading, we pick up there in a story. Verse 28, I believe it is. Oh, verse 31, excuse me. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you What you have, why have, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made me a fool, I wish I had sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And then the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey and on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. 
Balaam, God opened up the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey just asked some simple questions of Balaam. Have I ever treated you like this before? Why are you beating me like this? And Balaam is real quick to say, because you made me look like a fool, I wish I had a sword in my hand that I could strike you down. Little did Balaam know that there was a sword pretty quick, pretty close to him, but it wasn't to strike the the donkey down. It was actually to strike him down, as we'll see in just a second. And so... God opened the mouth of this donkey. That's a pretty incredible thing. That's the original Mr. Ed in my mind, the talking donkey. And, guys, it gives me hope because if God can open the mouth of a donkey, what can he do with me? What can he do with you? And so continuing the story and looking at the next part, the next point is, is real simple. God's grace is truly amazing. Picking up in verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell to his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out of to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If he had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. It's a pretty incredible story because God, in this story, we see God's grace. Three times, even with the donkey turning from side to side, I really believe that the angel of the Lord could have accomplished his task. He could have taken care of Balaam. But he let Balaam live these three times. And then the really gracious thing about this story is that God opened the eyes of Balaam to let him see this. Balaam ended up doing what any of us should do when he faced with wrongdoing. He confessed. And he he said, you know, God, if you want me to turn around and go home, then I'll turn around and go home. And God said, no, I want you to go ahead and go with these guys, but I want you to only say what I tell you to say. See, God again knew what was going on in Balaam's heart. As we finish up and we kind of conclude, I want to go back over those three points, if you don't mind. The first of those points, if you go back and you remember, is we can't fool God. Guys, in here today, there are born-again believers. There are some of you that may be searching and that you haven't taken that first step of faith yet. Regardless of what category you're in, we can't fool God. If you've never stepped, taken that first step on the faith journey, then you find yourself in a place where you have earned a separation, a death from God. If you have taken that first step, a lot of times we, I hate to say it, we try to treat God like Balaam did. And we try to manipulate God and we think we can talk God into things. But guys, we can't fool God. Then the second thing, God will go to some incredible measures to get our attention. He did the most amazing thing when he sent Jesus Christ his son. He knew that you and I on our own couldn't do anything to get to him, to bridge that gap of separation that's between us, that, that, stand, that sin it, it messes us up. And so he sent Jesus, and Jesus lived that perfect life, and he died, and then he was resurrected, and now he's with God in heaven. 
He's done the most amazing thing. He's gone to an incredible measure to fix our problem. And then the last thing, that last point, was God's grace truly is amazing. Over and over in our lives, we have opportunities. We have chances. If you, again, are a born-again believer, then you still mess up. And you still come to a point where you have that conviction that you're, you're wrong in something. And God gives you the opportunity to make that right. If you, again, haven't started that faith journey yet, you hadn't taken the first step on that faith journey, God gives you an opportunity. And, guys, today, right here, we have one of those opportunities. I don't know where you are with God, but I can tell you this. I hope you're not fooling yourself or trying to fool yourself because you're not fooling God. God, hopefully, through my mumbling on up here, has talked to you and has said something to you that you needed to hear. And it may not have even been in the words that I said, but just in something that he has He has brought to your attention. He's brought across your mind. And guys, we come to a point in time together where we get to to share what it is that God's doing. Uh, Linnea and and Will are going to come up and they're going to start and they're going to sing. And during this time, we call it an invitation, but what are you invited to do? You're invited to share what it is that God's laying on your heart. Now, the way that you can share what God's laying on your heart, you can stand where you are here in a second, and and you can share that. You can come forward. There are going to be ministers at the front. You can share whatever it is with them. Guys, we've got this stage up here. It's a prayer altar. It's a place that we can talk to God. You don't need to necessarily be, have a minister with you, but you may want to pray with a minister. You can come pray by yourself. You can pray with your family. I don't know what it is that God's pushing you, provoking you to do, but I hope that you have an attitude of obedience in doing that. We're going to pray, and then we'll see. Father God, I just thank you so much for the time that we've had together. I thank you for the opportunity to share what it is I felt like you put on my heart to share. And God, I just, um, as we come to this point, I don't know what you're doing in everybody's life, but you do. I just pray that um, we're obedient and we don't try to fool ourselves. God, we, we love you and we want to honor you in everything that we do. It's in your name we pray.